0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nordic Sound Channel. Just to offer something at least a little festive to the channel outside of just a cozy Christmas sweater for those of you watching this on video, the holiday season gives me the perfect opportunity or... Excuse to talk about one of the most iconic Norwegian poems that we have, the vision poem Dramkvea from the Middle Ages, which has just inspired so much music for such an old poem. Uh, you can date it back, as we'll talk about, almost a thousand years from its original source to what we have now. Right, and so this is also just a little experiment in testing out content that ties folklore and music together, because especially in nordic music and nordic culture the relationship between the two just cannot be overstated and also i love talking about folklore too really gets me going And then lastly, as a little Easter egg, for those of you who have been around since the days of this being a classical music podcast, some very familiar names are going to pop up uh, in this little history around Draumkvea. So there'll be some payoff for sticking around for such a long time. So without further ado, let's dive into Draumkvea or the dream poem for a very pagan Christmas story. So before we get into the meat of the poem, let's lay down some important context around a little concept called religious syncretism. So in this time of year, when neo-pagan circles and Christian circles are constantly bickering over who owns what in the holiday season, the dream poem illustrates the far more common middle ground that both religions would have shared and continue to share during the holiday season. Because in reality, very little of what we celebrate in the holidays is an either or thing because of a beautiful little thing called religious syncretism. As a quick definition, religious syncretism is the blending of religious belief systems into a new system or the incorporation of other beliefs into an existing religious tradition. So, Contrary to popular belief exacerbated by certain TV shows, certain heavy metal bands, and the fact that this image is far more romantic and seductive than reality, the crossover from pagan to Christian in the North was not a switch, and not even an overwhelmingly violent one. Of course, there are traces of certain leaders being overwhelmingly violent. Both of the Norwegian Olaf kings, uh, Tryggvason and uh, Olaf Magnusson, St. Saint- Saint Olaf, uh, would violent about it, right? But the reality is that most of the pagan melded into the Christian just naturally over time through the introduction of new ideas, creating a hybrid model of religious practices combining the native and the Christian, as it did elsewhere in Europe. Uh, Scandinavia is not particularly uh, exceptional in this case, uh, actually with the exception of just how late it occurred, which is why we have so much left over from the old ways, right? So, now the cool thing about the Middle Ages, and both I and Matthias Nordvig will argue this to the death, is that because of the high level of hybrid practice of religious syncretism, the Middle Ages are this trippy, awesome time period where the country folk were still thoroughly pagan in belief, tradition, culture, and even behavior, but with this shiny new Christian veneer on it, right? They were trying to make sense of the world both through what had been passed down to them since ancient times and oral tradition, and what was being taught to them in church and through doctrine. It wasn't so much an either-or thing, again, on a cultural level. Both were exerting force on cultural practice. So the Middle Ages, I think, are one of the trippiest, most interesting times to explore pagan practices which lasted into recorded history. This is when you get actual literature written down to give us a better idea of what all of this latent paganism would have looked like in a Christian Europe, like the English wassail poems, or the vision poems such as Dramkvea. When Olav Ostasen fell asleep on Christmas Eve, he couldn't have ever predicted that he wouldn't wake up until the 13th day of Christmas, January 6th. Nor could he have predicted the nightmarish but also awesome visions that he would see during this bewitched state. He laid down on Christmas Eve and soon fell fast asleep. He did not wake till past the twelfth night, when the folk their church shall keep. And it was Olav Olsteson who slept asleep so long. He did not wake till past the twelfth night, when sun's dawn rays did gleam. Today I will be off to church. I wish to tell my dream. Full of fear and awe, he finally awakes. He rides to church to interrupt the service, and like a mad preacher, regales the congregation of what he saw in his dreams. He tells of a ride over plains of sand and thorns, and a wintry landscape, a journey through miry bogs under a full moon before riding over a galler bridge, which leads him over a gorge of hounds, snakes, and bulls, goring sinners trapped below. Waded have I through miry bogs, where a foot can never touch ground. Crossed over galler bridge have I with grave earth in my mouth, for the moon shines bright and the roads are endless wide. On this leg of the journey, he says a prayer for each of the horrible things he sees, hoping that man never has to suffer from such evil. Once across the bridge, though, he sets foot on a wintry land. To his right hand, he catches a glimpse of heaven, but in the land he walks is nothing but cold and famine. He mentions he sees a place in paradise called Broxvalen. The etymology is uncertain, where souls are judged but the meat of the poem happens abruptly when he finds himself in the midst of a mighty battle between heaven and hell on the very plain he's traveling through. A mighty host came from the north, and now I feared the worst, with grizzly gray beard at its head upon a jet black horse. But opposite him on the plain, a mighty host came from the south, and now I hoped the best, Archangel Michael at its head, closest to Jesus Christ. Archangel Michael then blows a mighty war horn, signaling the coming of Judgment Day. But then each sinful mortal shook like aspen leaves in the wind, and each and every soul alive shed tears for every sin. And the poem ends with Saint Michael deeming even those of sin consigned to Christ after an implied battle between heaven and hell over the souls of Judgment Day. And this is the story that Olav Olstesen tells the congregation before him on the 13th day of Christmas. So there's a lot going on in this story from both a Christian and a pagan perspective, and is even told in a way that would make fans of the Diablo franchise uh, feel right at home. The setting itself is thoroughly pagan from the Nordic cosmology of Niflheim, Muspelheim, with the Galler Bridge referencing Heimdall's Gallerhorn being used to traverse between these lands. And something about the name Broksvallen sounds very Old Norse Asgardy to me, especially with its place in the paradise of afterlife. Then everything else is thoroughly Christian besides that. And the poem itself, being from the genre of vision poem, which was very popular amongst the medieval aristocracy from roughly 1100 to 1400. It's likely that time period as well, with some strong theories connecting it to salvation stories from the Black Death, which affected Norway disproportionately during this time period, just because of the amount of coastline, right? So from my view, I also think that this could be a Christianized medieval retelling of the popular Baldur's Dream uh, from the Eddic poetry, uh, because of just how many parallels there are. Or I could just be overstepping there and that's a little bit of fan fiction, but who knows? Now bringing this back around to music, yes, this poem was written down, but it primarily survived in Norwegian cultural conscience into the 1800s as a folk song. From a pattern I've observed as a mere researcher is that a poem that ends with kvaya Kvaie. Uh, Etc. are typically sung. So this comes as no surprise for me. But what's more important is that this poem and folk song were collected by our good buddy, Alea Kröger, the wandering bard who collected so many ancient folk songs and folk tales that we enjoy today in collaboration with Asbjørnsen and Moe, Ludwig Matthias Lindemann, and Magnus Landstad. So as always, it's music, songs that keep legends alive. Pretty neat. But as I mentioned at the beginning of all of this, the poem itself, you know, I only read you excerpts, please go read the full poem as it was written by Landstad at the Vest Telemark Museum's website, linked below, we go on to inspire so many different musical interpretations throughout the 1900s as a core part of Norwegian cultural heritage. While the most famous is probably Agnes Buen uh, reconstructed version from 1984, the LP she did was very popular in Norway, my personal favorite would have to be the composer Klaus Egge's uh, piano sonata based on drum kvea or the humble settings from Aven Groven or uh, Ludwig Matthias Lindemann himself. Let's take a quick listen to Klaus Egge's riveting piano sonata, Drumkveja. So, I want to wrap up by highlighting just how interconnected all of this is when talking about Nordic music. We're not just talking about notes, chords, or instruments here. We have a medieval poem tied to both Norse and Christian cosmology, influenced by etic poetry and kept alive by country folk song lasting almost a thousand years until it's picked up by folklorists looking for Norwegian cultural heritage in the 1800s. And from there, it's transfigured into so much beautiful music across such different genres, all as a core part of the Nordic story world that we've all come to know and love. All of this comes together right here in Dramgvea to tell you a beautifully weird pagan Christmas story through the power of song. Happy holidays, my friends, and I'll see you in 2024.